Wally West and Barry Allen go to war in The Flash, Volume 8, Flash War. Then we step right up to the edge of the Spider-Verse. And then a special bonus review as we take a look at The Prisoner, Original Art Edition. Welcome to the Classy Comics Podcast, where we search for the best comics in the universe. From Boise, Idaho, here is your host, Adam Graham. Alright, well we start off with the Flash Volume 8 Flash War, and uh, the book begins with a scene from uh, Annual Number 2. Uh, where uh, they're investigating, in the 25th century, the death of Ebard Thawne, uh, which I think happened back in Volume 4 or 5 of this series. And uh, there's a judge who is investigating, and he goes ahead and he sends the renegades back because there's an indication that Iris West was here. And, of course, if you read that book, Iris West was totally justified in what she did because of self-defense. Uh, but, uh, apparently, the judge doesn't know that. And she needs to be brought in for questioning. Because just because you've been dead for 400 years isn't a reason that you can get away with murder in the 25th century. And so the judge sends the renegades uh, back to the 21st century to get Iris. The renegades are a team of law enforcers and heroes who are based on the rogues, which makes sense in a way. I guess it would be like if uh, you decided to have a group of police officers who based their identity and behaviors off famous underworld uh, figures. And, of course, they go back in time dressed as the arch enemies of the Flash and with the full expectation that there will be no problems at all. Once they're gone, it's revealed that Hunter Zolomon, a.k.a. Zoom, was actually the judge who sent them all along. And uh, we find out what had happened with uh, Hunter Zolomon, a.k.a. Zoom, is that he had been in a wheelchair as a result of some of his activities and also imprisoned, and then Ebard Thawne broke him out. Of course, Thawne himself is dead, but uh, Zolomon can uh, play around as Zoom. At the end of the last volume, Wally had recovered some memories and then uh, collapsed, and the Justice League is uh, treating him as the uh, book starts but he gets up in the middle and says he's done with test, and Iris says he just needs some time and goes ahead and takes uh, Wally home. Barry goes to the Batcave to get help from Batman, but when he finds Batman is not there, he goes ahead and shatters the screen to Batman's computer. And he's really just there to blow off emotional steam and find out how Batman manages to be so cold, etc., while dealing with uh, putting people he cares about into harm's way. And Alfred says, you know, he does care. And then uh, Barry does go ahead and fix the uh, computer, which uh, 
is like Barry, but the thing is that the whole uh, breaking the computer thing is absolutely not like Barry. Meanwhile, the first full issue of this uh, book ends with Hunter Zolomon uh, monologuing and concluding that none of the Flashes deserve his faith or trust. The next issue opens up with Wally uh, tr- about to try and take off, and Barry trying to stop him, and then it flashes back several minutes previously uh, to uh, when uh, Barry and Wally were just returning from a run, and suddenly the renegades appear. And uh, Wally uh, decides, instead of trying to work with the renegades or to find out what's going on, to run off with Iris uh, to keep her safe. And uh, there is a battle. Uh, the renegades fight uh, the Golden Guardian, who's the uh, uh, renegade counterpart to the rogue a golden glider is actually a yellow lantern and is able to hamstring some of the Flash's efforts. Iris agrees to go to the future, but when they go there, Wally is separated and it turns out he's in another section of the museum where he runs into Hunter Zolomon, uh, who uh, Wally attacks and they tries to fight, uh, but Zoom says he's not there to fight. Uh, um, while Barry is trying to locate Wally and trying to talk some sense into Commander Colt. Uh, Zoom says that Flashpoint is what uh, ultimately uh, destroyed Wally's family and put them in the uh, Speed Force. Flashpoint, of course, being the event where Barry Allen went back in time to stop the death of his mother and created an alternate universe. For years, it was thought that this effort also led to the uh, end of the uh, uh, post-crisis universe and the creation of the New 52, though DC Rebirth kind of contradicted that. So I'm kind of confused as to what the, the current cosmology in the DC universe is on this point. At any rate, uh, we get to a point where uh, we get to the splash page that had been at the start of the previous issue with Wally about to take off. And Barry uh, uh, decides to pursue after him. And so you have these two flashes racing and he's trying to talk some sense into Wally while also making things worse. Because the two of them running so fast is causing some great disruptions uh, to the Earth. Uh, Superman is unable to catch him. Uh, Hal Jordan is the Green Lantern. He uses his ring and he's unable to stop them with a construct. And uh, in fact, Wally is so reckless that uh, he nearly uh, kills Hal, but uh, Barry rescues him. Uh, they start going up a building, and Barry points this out. And Wally's like, yeah, I knew you were going to rescue him anyway. At any rate, they are don't actually end up going to the past. Uh, they end up running so fast that they break something called the Force Barrier. And uh, Zolomon is there, and he has the original Flash Ring. And he says that they have unleashed two other forces, uh, the Strength Force and the Sage Force. Uh, the S- S- Sage Force, of course, uh, controlling intellect. 
And then uh, he uh, runs off in the original Flash costume from the Flash Museum in the future. Uh, the actions uh, that happened actually cause that future to cease to exist, and that left things in a really bad situation for our Iris Kid Flash and Commander Cold as they have to find a way to get back. And they do succeed thanks to Wallace. And that's how they're designating it. Wally is the original one. Wallace is the uh, newer one, uh, Kid Flash, in the uh, costume. So they're able to get back kind of by the skin of their teeth. Uh, and... Uh, be- uh, Barry and Wally chase after Hunter Zolomon and uh, are ultimately unable to catch him, though Wally delivers a huge punch, and then we don't really know what happens to Hunter. Uh, there are consequences as a result of this. Uh, according to Commander Cold, all temporal energy is gone from the Speed Force, so speedsters are no longer able to travel in time. Uh, and this also leads to a strain in the relationship with Kid Flash, who points out that they're supposed to be a team and family, and uh, he left, uh, Barry left Iris and him behind while he went and chased after Wally. And so he's not happy, and he ends up spending a lot of time with uh, Damien, uh, Wayne, and the Teen Titans. And I I think this is an overplayed point uh, of constantly having the Kid Flash is feeling angry and betrayed at Barry Allen slash The Flash. It's been going off and on for the last four volumes. So it's kind of old hat at this point. Uh, Commander Cold ends up staying in an apartment with Barry, um, Barry spends all of his time, uh, looking for Wally, uh, just totally dedicated to finding him and really concerned about him. Um, while Iris spends a lot of time sitting in the park and eventually, uh, Wally collapses in front of Iris and, uh, they go ahead and they send him off to the sanctuary, which ends up in the Heroes in Crisis storyline which, uh, yeah, I'm not even going to get into that uh, particular storyline. So uh, what what are my overall thoughts on this story and uh, the overall state of uh, things? First of all, I think the jury's out on the stage for Sage Force and Strength Force. When Mark Wade created the Speed Force as this explanation for the powers of speed that the flashes have, I think it made a lot of sense. It fills in some gaps in terms of the physics of how their powers could even function. And at the same time, it added another level of mythology to the flashes world. Uh, I don't think right off my first impression of the strength force and the sage force is they're not really as necessary to explain the uh, powers. And I doubt they'll add that same sense of mythology. It kind of reminds me in the Green Lantern's uh, books where they added a whole lot of other rings along the emotional spectrum in addition to the typical Green Lantern rings. I think that actually worked better because it made more sense, uh, certainly that there are these other emotions with other powers. 
Um, I think this makes less so, but it'll be up to what they do with them. So while my first impressions aren't great, I'll say the jury's out on that. I think that DC Comics has basically bungled the storyline of Wally West. If you read DC Rebirth, the key point of that book was the return of Wally West to the DC Universe. And the question is, what did they do with that? I think they did a couple interesting stories in the pages of Titans, and there are some good moments and some past Flash issues. But ultimately, um, they did not really have an idea. What is this character's trajectory? And when you look at what they've done, not only in here, but in Heroes in Crisis, you just got to ask, why did you bother to bring him back if you were not going to uh, do something sensible, if you didn't have a plan for this character? The other thing I really don't like about this storyline is... Uh, the idea of Flashpoint, um, when Barry went back in time to go ahead and to save his mother, it was an understandable moment of human weakness. It was a mistake because of the consequences that it had and the abuse of power that it represented. In this book, Hunter Zolomon said he made his plans based on the fact of what the Flashes will do for their families. And that is the one thing that they're known for, is that they will do anything for them. And they were running around, I mean, essentially uh, threatening the integrity of the entire planet, the entire Justice League unable to stop them. And you do get a sense of that power and the awesomeness of that strength, but there's not a whole lot of heroism in here. I don't think the Flash is a character that needed deconstructed or needed to be as dark as his story went. And I I don't think it was totally dark or totally irredeemable. Uh, I I think that there was some real humanity in the character journeys uh, that happen in the story and some good moments. But I think that uh, particularly with Wally, if you're a fan of Wally West, you have reason to not be happy with this storyline. And I think that it's the lack of heroism and the incredible selfishness and the villain that the villains won uh, leaves me less than impressed. And this is the second straight volume where you had one of the flashes behaving selfishly and putting everybody else at risk. And I think that that's really problematic if you view that as the legacy of the flash. So I'm going to give flash volume eight, a flash for or a rating of not classy. Now we're going to move on to Spider-Man, Edge of the Spider-Verse. Uh, and this is a five-issue miniseries that set the stage for Spider-Verse. And each issue contained an alternate Earth's uh, Spider-Man. Or if we want to be a little politically or politically correct Spider-Person. The first one features Spider-Man Noir. And uh, it's a 1930s Peter Parker uh, who's investigating a mysterious magician named Mysterio. And I, I actually really like this one. 
it's got this really nice noirish feel, uh, though it feels actually kind of like the shadow in a way. You know, that sort of mystery man, sort of shadow green uh, uh, hornet top feel. The art is really good. It captures the golden age feel, and it's really clean, beautifully drawn uh, stuff. And uh, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. I think the first issue was probably the best one in the book. The second one is Spider-Gwen, and we kind of discussed that one. Again, I like the character. I like a lot of the concepts. The issue seemed a bit rushed just because it kind of had to be uh, because of the nature of it. And uh, the fact that it was leading into the Spider-Verse miniseries. And uh, each of these, uh, they either uh, are... Uh, drawn in to the uh, uh, drawn into the Spider-Verse event, either uh, taken by the side of spiders who want to survive, or they are killed off. Uh, then we get Aaron uh, Aikman, uh, who is Spider-Man, but he's a bit of a scientist industrialist. It, it's kind of like a, a almost like a Tony Stark. Though uh, more of a jerk, uh, he really does. He's short with a lot of people, but he clearly wants to be a hero, wants to protect the city, and uh, uncovers this plot that's pretty intricate. And this one is kind of torture because he uncovers something and goes to save the city, and then he gets killed off. And so it wasn't particularly satisfying though I understand what they were doing for the event. Then you get Paul uh, Parnell Patton, who um, got the spider venom in his universe. And this one has a very much a horror feel to it. Um, he is a lot like Peter Parker was in the original comics, only a bit more of a creep with an uh, evil, abusive uncle, rather than the kindness of Uncle Ben and Aunt May. Uh, and I guess, you know, I I do like, you know, if there's something I do like about this particular issue, it, I guess it is that sort of subtext of the difference that the family and the people who uh, raise a child actually play in what type of person they're going to be and how a difference in that influence can make a difference in how they would respond to something like getting powers. That, though his powers go in a very freakish direction anyway. It's a bit gross for me, and, you know, I know there are folks out there who love horror comics, and just not me. Some good suspense, some thriller, some psychological horror. I could kind of go for that. Uh, to a small degree, but this one's got some uh, gore and some disgusting stuff in it. Not really my cup of tea, uh, so I didn't enjoy that one much. And he, uh, he dies, and I actually don't didn't care that much about it. And then they threw in another sort of uh, gross-out whore twist at the end. Um, okay, then our final one is SP... Uh, slash DRR, uh, which is this a uh, situation where uh, there there's this girl Penny whose father operated this uh, robot SP uh, DRR, and uh, if you wanted to operate it, 
essentially was able to bond with you through what happened as a result of the spider bite. And it's a cool robot, um, and I, I like a lot of the conceptual stuff in this. And she's a, she makes the choice to become Spider-Man or the spider to, uh, track down, uh, who, uh, uh, killed her dad. And, uh, she gets, uh, help from a version of Daredevil. Uh, there's not enough time to really develop it, and we leave in the middle of her quest, so it doesn't really feel, you know, very satisfying as a story in itself. I also say that the art is really not great on this one. This one's probably the weakest in terms of art in the entire book. Overall, it's a mis mixed bag. I did enjoy reading it more than uh, I did Flash War, but... Overall, I'm going to give this one a rating of uh, not classy, even though I thought the first two issues were great. Now, we've been only doing uh, two uh, books per episode. I'm going to expand it to three because this one won't take a whole lot of time to talk about. And it's actually a really big book, and I prefer to have books with me when I uh, review them. And this one is taking up so much space around the house that I've got to get it back to the library. Uh, okay, so this one is the Prisoner Original Art Edition. And uh, the story behind this one is that Marvel actually decided they were going to do a Prisoner comic. And they went ahead and they asked Jack Kirby to uh, uh, go ahead and draw a draft for it. And then, uh, you know, Kirby wrote a story and penciled it. And then Steve Englehart wrote a story and then Gil Kane uh, drew the art for the story, penciled in the art, but uh, never actually inked it or uh, uh, had uh, the uh, dialogue added. So this book collects the uh, original art that Kirby and Gil Kane did for this. Both were assigned the task of essentially writing an adaptation of The Arrival, which is the first episode of The Prisoner where The Prisoner ends up in the village. The Jack Kirby version tries to stay close to what happened in the episode, and essentially he adapts most of what happened like in the first uh, 20 minutes of the episode where uh, the prisoner is kidnapped and he's brought to the village and he's introduced to the village and asked to provide information, including and most importantly, his reason for uh, resigning. Kirby's story is a lot more finished. Uh, you have it partially inked. You have lettering all there. No coloring, but you do have lettering on every page. Gil Kane's uh, story is just the art. However, they also uh, take Steve Englehart's script and have Rick Parker go ahead and letter uh, Gil Kane's artwork. Uh, and it's important to note that this is a huge book. I, I think I touched on that briefly. But it's really intended to capture uh, like you were getting an original copy of the art that was being uh, drawn. So it's it's a huge, huge book. And so what they do with the Gil Kane uh, uh, art 
for the Stiegel Engelhardt script is they essentially uh, can put four regular pages on a single page of this book. So you get to see the Gilkane artwork, two pages of it, and two pages of Steve Englehart's script. Now, what Englehart did with his script is that uh, he went ahead and he uh, had an escape by the prisoner his first time in the village when evening set. That's easily thwarted. Uh, While that's not uh, as faithful to the shows as Kirby, I do appreciate it because it has something happening, uh, our hero trying to do something in the first issue, even if it turns out not to be particularly effective. Though I do like Kirby's artwork better, though maybe that might be because it's a little bit more finished, so I won't overanalyze that. And I also have to say there are some nice bonuses in here. Uh, Mike Allred, who did the art on Silver Surfer, uh, you know, that great run with uh, that was written by Dan Slott, actually does do, uh, uh, does colorize a Jack Kirby two-page spread uh, from his uh, prisoner art, and it looks beautiful. Uh, Steve Englehart has an article in here on his experience in writing The Prisoner. And uh, you also get something really uh, nice in here. It's the ITC press book for The Prisoner. Uh, so it's got all the information on the series. And again, because you can put four pages of regular uh, office-sized uh, uh, paper in there, uh, you can, it's essentially, you know, 20 some pages over that's put on six pages in this book. Uh, and then you get Rick Davies explanation of the prisoner. And it's a nice introduction to the series if you've never seen it. And even it's got some facts, uh, if you have seen it, that make it worth checking out. Overall, uh, this is a good book, but you've got to be of a specific audience. If you're interested in Jack Kirby or uh, Gil Kane's artwork, if you're a fan of them, then this is an opportunity to own a pretty rare piece of uh, their work. If you're a fan of The Prisoner, you know, which has had limited exposure in the comic medium, then this is definitely a worthwhile read. Uh, or if you just want to see how comics are put together, this is a, a really good book for that. I, I will warn you, uh, you cannot fit this on a standard bookshelf without some effort, so be warned of that. But uh, with that proviso, if you fit into the uh, into that uh, particular niche, then I think you'll enjoy this book. Overall, I will give the Prisoner Original Art Edition a rating of classy. And uh, previous ratings uh, in this podcast, uh, the uh, Flash Volume 8 Flash War rated not classy. And uh, also gave uh, Edge of the Spider-Verse a rating of not classy. All right, well, uh, that will actually do it for today. If you have a comment, email it to me, ClassyComicsGuy at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at ClassyComicsGuy. And be sure and rate and review the podcast on iTunes. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.